0: Hello, and welcome to Mixed Feelings, a show about news, politics, and pop culture on the Really FM network. I'm Quinn Rose, and I'm here as always with my friend Julian Parker. Hi, everyone. How are you doing today, Julian? I'm doing pretty good. Um, finals are ruining my life, but how are you doing? You said that with such a smile on your face. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm pretty good. Finals are almost over for me. I'm done tomorrow. Right, you're going home. I'm going home on Friday. Quinn
1: hates me, which is why she does not I... want to stay the extra few days.
0: You know what? It was not my choice. What finals do you have left? Um, so I submitted my 45-page paper on Monday. Mm-hmm.
1: I requested a regrade for my libertarian class.
0: Yep. As you saw. It's important to note that Jillian is an econ major. Yes. This is the choice you have made with your life. I'm aware. I actually might get an A in my sociology class that I'm taking this semester, which would be sweet. Oh, that'd it's, be lit. It's the one I mentioned in the last episode is my favorite class, so that'd be cool. Yeah. Which I also that professor listens to this podcast sometimes. <laughs> oh my goodness. <laughs> <So> <laughs> he listened to that and he appreciated it. Yay. But when I said that he was pretty cool, even though he was a guy. <laughs> Hi, Quinn's professor. <laughs> uh, anyway. So remember how last week we expressed some amount of optimism? Goodbye, optimism.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so um, the attacks in the Middle East are getting more and more brutal, I would say. Um, A lot of civilian deaths, which is like, like this has been happening for a long time, but.
0: Yeah, so (laughs) we're going to be talking about the situation in Syria and specifically Aleppo, but this is a very complicated topic. The number of forces that are going into this situation and the different people who are involved and the different factors that are involved is just enormous. Um, Mm -hmm. And this is not really going to be a conversation in which we outline everything that's going on and explain everything that's going on. Because to be really honest, we probably could not explain what's going on. It's very complicated. But this is not something that we wanted to just ignore and not talk about because it is incredibly important and so we're going to do our best to talk about it and we also want to talk about why as two college students in the United States who go to a good school and are supposed to be like Mm -hmm. educated and aware of the world why that we can't say that we know a ton about um the situation and how our perspective on the world is skewed by what we hear and see every day.
1: Yeah, so from what I know and from what I've been trying to, like, gather up on, um, basically the Civil War has been happening for years, and and it's just very hard to get a grasp on, like, who the good guys are and who the bad guys are, because on both sides there are bad people and there are civilian deaths on both sides. Mm -hmm. So I think that is the whole, I mean, at least for me, that's the issue that's the most pressing, the fact that innocent people are dying.
0: Yeah. To to paint the situation with broad strokes, um, so we can talk very, about it. Very,
1: very broad strokes. Yes.
0: Now, to be clear, in the show notes for this week's episode, there will be links to articles and information and perspectives that if you want to get a really in-depth look in this, then you can um, check out those and hear from people who are actually there, uh, slash who have studied this for years and can better explain the details of the situation than we can. Mm-hmm. Um, but painting in broad strokes. So Aleppo was the... They, one of the biggest, if not the biggest city in Syria is a real center there. And um, back in 2011, there were some teenagers who spray painted anti-government graffiti and were arrested. Some people alleged that they were tortured. Um, and so this sparked protests, originally peaceful protests, um, that uh, as tensions ramped up um, between the civilians and the government, um, got more and more violence and more intense Um, and continued escalating with various rebel forces. So as it is in Syria today, um, there is the President Assad. um, I'm not sure exactly how democratic this president is. This is uh, not a president, as in the United States kind of president, but the leader of the country um, Mm -hmm. and his governmental forces. And then there are multiple different rebel groups who are not necessarily connected or um, affiliated with each other, but are all separately fighting against the government. And then, um, so the whole country is in a devastating civil war. And then not only that, but um, ISIS is in Syria and is committing horrible crimes um, against the people of Syria. And Mm -hmm. so both the government and the rebels are also fighting against the ISIS forces um and so in Aleppo which is one of the centers of all of this uh there are still civilians who live there mm-hmm. and
1: like 50,000 civilians mm-hmm.
0: and and i mean i mean like live there like have their lives there um even while the city has been under siege um while people have been dying and this week fighting escalated uh to a point that it hadn't before in Aleppo and many many people were killed we don't have a number we don't we don't have a number yet on how many civilians are killed we might never have a number um but complete devastation mm-hmm. uh horrific war crimes um right now the like the u k government the u s government are trying the u n yeah yeah sorry pretty the... much
1: is saying um how the raids on the city are pretty much a war crime and they don't have an exact number but it's alleged that eighty two um, civilians have been killed by these pro-government forces in Syria, mm-hmm. which is um, awful, absolutely awful.
0: Oh, of course, like, there have definitely been more oh, definitely. deaths than that, but those are those are the ones that we know of so far, um, mm-hmm. been killed by the government. In all likelihood, this is going to be um, one of the most devastating events of the 21st century, um, and with almost no doubt, like, we're going to look back on this, Um, situation in Syria with absolute disgust at the people who did nothing to help
1: Mm
0: -hmm. Um, that's a big thing that's going on right now is people asking why isn't anyone doing anything which of course is a very complicated question
1: right from what I've gathered from this it's just a very complicated issue not in the fact that oh well there are bad people and like we need to stop them but why aren't we stopping them? It's just because it's so political and there's such there's, there's this fine line between wanting to help those who are being murdered and being tortured and helping those civilians but then also not getting overly involved in another country's politics and then playing, you know, like the police force of the world mm-hmm. and this, this issue is something that presidents have struggled with Um, from both parties so obviously it's not there's no clear straight path here and i think that's what at least i'm struggling with conceptually
0: yeah because i mean the america has in sometimes mockingly sometimes seriously been called like the world's Mm policeman um because the united states have a tendency to intervene on in other countries um of course which you can see like the peak of in the invasion of Iraq there which of course is again like a very complicated issue, but a lot of people now look back on um with regret and disagree with the decision to go there. So as it is now, President Obama has tried to um pull out his fort yeah, the, yeah pull out like, the troops. Yeah, and just pull out of the whole area and not be as involved in the Middle East conflicts. Which is an admiral idea, I would say. But then it leads to situations like this, and it's like, should the U.S. be there and helping people? And if so, who should they be helping?
1: Mm -hmm. Because I think one of the problems, at least, is that things, like, sides are never really permanent. You can always, and the United States has had not the greatest history with supporting the right people I mean before like in the 80s like I think we we supported Saddam Hussein I mean not because he wasn't you know the person the the dictator um, that he's like known to be like the awful um, ruler but it's just there are no permanent sides and I think the United States is oh has always struggled with like wanting to help people from a genuine place from a place of genuine care and interest but then also not wanting to like shoot itself in the foot by like make, perhaps helping someone or some organization that turns out to be awful in like two years or mm-hmm. ten years is probably a better um, estimate of time. But
0: yeah, we've we've definitely had some serious problems with that in the past. And the reason that this really this situation significantly matters on international stage is because it's not just Syria fighting a civil war. Um, the Syrian government has support from. Russia from Iran. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, Meanwhile, countries like Saudi Arabia um, are really against the Syrian government um, and more supportive of the rebels. Like, this is a very, like, a lot, pretty much all the countries um, in this area either implicitly or explicitly have taken sides on this, um, whether or not they're directly supporting Mm -hmm. a certain side or group. Um, So other countries getting involved would be dragging themselves into an international conflict. Mm -hmm,
1: Definitely. (laughs) We talked about this in my libertarian class. And, um, basically my professor was saying that, um, the United States should not be involved in other countries. Um, we should have pulled, we should have never gotten involved. Um, there were, of course, rumors that, um, in the Middle East years ago that there were weapons of mass destruction and that we should preemptively attack and like things like that. And it's just like this idea that this war of terrorism implies that these people are like insane and that we need to like stop them and um, get involved and things like that. But it's also just from an, (laughs) from the libertarian economics perspective, it's the, of course, the, one of the main assumptions is that all people are rational and that, the rational that the people who do do the bad things are rational but their reason behind it is that they don't want is that they don't want the government to be involved with their religion or they're against one part of their government or religion and then the united states like interfering with that is a problem and then gets everybody in the middle east mad at the united states which then just causes more problems and more tension um but of course like this is economics and it's just not all people are rational and even if they are rational there's just so many other factors involved that we that they that we can't say that oh if we pulled out of the middle east there would be no more terrorism because that's just not true um but it's just it just all ties back to this weird this really difficult thing that we're trying to find the right amount of intervention if there is going to be intervention and trying to get that goldilocks just just right amount
0: and all of this ties into this whole question of like, what should we as the United States and other Western countries do about the situation um, with the refugee crisis? Mm-hmm. Because uh, there has been a huge outpouring of refugees from Syria because of this situation, because of this horrific civil war, which is um, killing people and destroying families. So of course, uh, thousands and thousands of people are trying to escape from the country, um, a lot are going to uh, nearby countries, mm-hmm. um, but there are also many trying to make their way into um, more Western European and uh, countries in the United States. Like Germany and France have um, announced that they'll take a certain number of refugees, and many other countries have made similar claims, um, but there are so many more people applying to get into these countries, and they have room for hundreds of thousands mm-hmm. of refugees, um, and that's not even counting like all of the people who are just going to nearby countries like turkey
1: and also like angela merkel got a lot of backlash for accepting so many refugees and now with the election in germany being a thing and a lot of people withdrawing support from angela merkel because um of the of the importing of all these refugees there's just been a lot of struggle with that whole entire situation Um, and when I was, I've been talking to some people about this and what they think and the economically speaking, immigration is always good because, um, it's beneficial for the country, especially if you have, because it's human capital, human capital is entering. Um, and also, especially now, because in my class, we studied a lot about fertility rates and how, um, fertility rates have decreased over the years, as in, Um, people have been having less kids, um, Mm -hmm. because, you know, birth control, um, women delay, um, the marriage age being increased, women delaying, um, having kids and things like that. And so having immigration and having all of these things, it's good for the economy, but also for like the, um, the familial structure and having sort of that cohesive, um, not even cohesive familial structure, but just the consistency or if fertility rates are declining and that's bad for a country, um, then having immigration helps. But then also there's, I've also heard very other convincing arguments saying, yes, we're like countries should be open to, um, to having refugees because if you know, they are being tortured, they are being persecuted. Like it's, they should leave, mm-hmm. um, because nobody deserves that. Especially if nobody is actively helping, uh, helping them go against their government, who's persecuting them. But there's also the belief that they probably don't want to leave their country. Aside from the fact that they're being persecuted, because mm-hmm. like you know, this is their home. This is what what they what they know. And then there's the whole argument saying that, in favor of um, intervention, saying that why. Yes, we can accept all these refugees into our countries, but why aren't we doing anything to help them make their countries better so they can stay? And so it's the whole point of how should we help them, as well as
0: should we even help them? That's a really important question, because, I mean, these are not people who are trying to immigrate to the United States. No. I mean, like, or any other Western country, but like, say in the United States, um, because that's where we live. Mm -hmm. Um, So... There are people who can't stay in their home, the place that they want to be, because, um, for fear of death and torture. Accepting refugees is, of course, a complicated process, and there's debates over um, the numbers that we should accept and what the process should be, and that's, like, a whole uh, complicated bureaucratic process and all that going on. But, um, again, it gets back to should we be doing anything Should we have direct intervention into the place where these people are from? Mm
1: -hmm. And that's something that two college students cannot answer, because if we could answer that, we would be not here. And Mm -hmm.
0: probably, (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Rose Parker, 2020. (laughs) (laughs) Start your ballots now, (laughs) everybody. Okay. Anyway. Yeah. So, this all kind of brings us to what I mentioned earlier um, and the kind of perception and education of people in the West towards people in the Middle East. Because mm-hmm. this is something that has been pointed out time and time again, but it doesn't really change anything. Mm-hmm. But we're going to talk about it anyway because I think it's important. um, And it's a couple of different things it's this prioritizing of people in the Western world by other people in the Western world. Mm-hmm. um, This idea that, like, when tragedies happen here, that they somehow seem more important than tragedies in other places. Um, Which, not... to be clear, they aren't. Um, They are all horrific. Um, But that is kind of how, like, it is presented. Um, And then, like, things that happen in the the West. Also, it's just saying, like, the West... (laughs) is also kind of weird, but I'm just saying that for simplicity's sake, like, um, European countries in the United States and Canada and everything, um, but, like, they're, they are, they get more pressed and they get more attention, and they get more compassion, and there's this lack of empathy towards, uh, people in other parts of the world.
1: And I also think it's, it's just such a widespread disinterest, and it's been, not necessarily disinterest, but, this inability to connect and to really put ourselves in other people's shoes. And this just has been an issue. Like this, ha- this um, the genocide in Rwanda, like this was an issue because mm-hmm. not a lot of people knew about it. Well, people were aware, but it's not like they were actively trying, at least the everyday American was like, oh, well, you know, like there wasn't some innate desire to like go out and forge ahead and find, to provide some sort of help. And I think, we're all naturally just a step back and it's very hard for us to sort of imagine what life is like in conditions and in places that we've never personally experienced or been able necessarily to experience because America, even like the history of America, has never had to deal with the um, the, the level of persecution that other countries are facing.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, and I think especially in uh, today because... It's been so long since, um, like, countries like the United States and England have been, so, have been personally affected by war. Um, like, there hasn't been a war fought on U.S. soil in a long, long time, and so we, like, as a people don't remember that.
1: Like, I think it's the Civil War, right? That was, like, the last big war that we've had? Yeah. We've never, like, for... On on
0: U.S. soil. On U... yes, Yes,
1: exactly. Um... The Civil War is like the last big, I think it's the last war that we've had on U.S. soil. And so we've never had to deal with the whole fighting in our backyard kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Um, We never had to witness battlegrounds and seeing, you know, our own families. Yes, we've seen our loved ones go off to war and we've had losses there, but we've never had to actually, you know, have that direct impact of them going off to battle and then not coming home that night. You know it's just it's just a very different kind of atmosphere, and
0: we've never had the the civilian fear like mm-hmm. like there are terrorist attacks in the United States um and things like nine eleven and the Boston bombing and devastating attacks like that, but we haven't had war that affects civilians here in our country. if a tenth of what was happening in Syria was happening in Mississippi, it would be unimaginable mm-hmm. um it and yeah, I mean, it's, it's unimaginable even to me now what they're dealing with. Cause again, like, like, like you were saying, like the last war fought in soil was a civil war and you know what we had in the civil war? Muskets. I mean, the, the, the weaponry that is available now, um, is so unbelievably destructive. And although chemical weapons, um, are barred by the Geneva Convention and are a crime against humanity, um, the there has been evidence of chemical weapons being used in Syria, crimes against people that we can't even conceptualize, Mm -hmm. but other people have to live. So there becomes this disconnect between what we as young people living in the U.S. um, read about and experience day to day and what people in other parts of the world deal with. And because, like, to be frank, because they're not white, the media has less interest in covering them.
1: I, I can't imagine someone, like, a person who works for, like, CNN being like, oh, we're not gonna film this today because they're not white. Like, I don't think it's, like, an active thought, yeah. you know, but it's just, but it's just, like, sometimes when you, like, contextualize it, you just realize, like, how narrow-minded the world can be, and that's just really depressing.
0: That's, like, when there were the attacks in France, Um, it was... I mean it was horrifying and but I remember that um Facebook did this thing where you could change your profile picture to put the French flag over it in solidarity and so many people did that like um on my Facebook feed is all you were seeing was the French flag and it raises the question is like yes this was a horrible event that happened but this is the kind of stuff that happens um in the Middle East every day so where is the outrage mm-hmm. where
1: this where's the solidarity there like yeah are some countries worth helping more because they have you know like that whole question that's not you know it's just it's just hard it's just a lot
0: yeah and i think it's a very ingrained thing and th- that's also just part of like how humans work and how our brains work is that people who you identify with more um so for us like people who live in other western countries it's just easier for us to empathize with them naturally but doesn't give us the excuse to not exactly. with other people exactly all of us has to say i mean jillian and i like personally do our best to keep up with to date with these kinds of situations and to read about what's happening in aleppo and, and syria in a broader sense but um because we don't have the like knowledge base and the real understanding of the history then We didn't feel comfortable like trying to break down the details of the situation.
1: When we ourselves don't know every single fact and everything that we would, if it was another topic, want to give in as sort of like a background. But we ourselves just aren't aware enough to have even not only an opinion about this, but even like Mm
0: -hmm.
1: the authority even to talk about something that we're not
0: familiar with. Yes. conceptually but at the same time like clearly as we demonstrate I do think it still is important to talk yes. about even if we can't go into like historical analysis of why this is all happening and we can't make the incredibly difficult foreign policy decisions that mm-hmm. are going to have to be made um, in the coming weeks um it still is important to talk about it's important for us and um hopefully to you uh the listener at home uh to be thinking about and and continuing to read about and thinking about What kinds of stories are you consuming on a day-to-day basis? Because yes, it is always important to talk about domestic issues, which has been and will continue to be the largest part of what we talk about here. But uh, like the United States is just one country and there is a whole world out there. And if you um, are able and if you are interested in helping with the situation in Syria um, in assisting the people who are suffering there, there are places where you can donate money. So information about that is going to be linked in the show notes as well. In a frankly pretty tra- depressing transition, this is of course connected to our least favorite presidential elect, uh, Trump, who, of course, is going to inherit this situation in just a few short months, which is uh, not even months at this point. It's thirty-six days. There's it's a thirty-six there's a tracker. days. Yeah, yeah. I saw that tracker. It stressed me out so much.
1: Yeah. Well.
0: Yeah, so Trump takes the office in 36 days, which means he's going to inherit the situation. And um, all the foreign policy nuances that are involved. Mm -hmm. Which is... uh, Scary. Scary, especially because of the evidence that has surfaced recently about Russia's influence in our election.
1: Yeah, and it's not even... It's just, there has been a lot of misunderstanding, at least when I first became aware of this, and, like, the hacking. Oh, what did they hack exactly? Um, Did they hack like the voting? Like, was there a voter miscount? Like things like that. But no, it's actually, um, they didn't hack the actual machines, but they did release, they released to news sources that um, Hillary Clinton's private server um, was messed with, which definitely swayed the election um, away from her and more of Trump's favor. And it's just, just very, very sketchy. It does not look good. Um, because Trump has always been, at least through this election, he's been pretty pro-Russia, to say the least. Uh-huh. Um, and additionally, apparently, the allegedly, I can't say for sure, but they were also, um, the Russians, the Russian hackers also had access to the Republican emails as well, like from the RNC and things like that. But they just didn't release them in favor of releasing other news that would harm the Democratic Party, which is also very sketchy. So, I mean, at least from my standpoint, you should kill two birds with one stone. If I'm gonna hack an entire country, I'm just gonna release everything. Like, I'm not gonna- I'm not gonna sit here and choose. Like, I don't have time for that. I'm trying to get in, get out. Guys,
0: I'm really not a hacker. Please don't. Usually, when I say something like that, joking, I always make a comment like, sorry, NSA. But then I realize we're literally just- this is a public thing that we are releasing right now. The NSA doesn't even need to hack into this, this, so.
1: Yes, I- don't know anything about computers. I had to bring my computer to the Apple store when it was broken, but it just, I had to hold down the power button for more than 20 seconds. Um, moving on, uh, (laughs) Quinn and I are not computer science majors, as you can tell, or even engineer. I don't know, whoever, the hardware people who build these things. We're not tech people. No.
0: This is getting off topic. Yes. Actually, it's not off topic because we're talking about emails, which is a tech thing, but unbelievably, we are better at tech than John Podesta, because... <laughs> <laughs> friggin' Okay, so Podesta, who was um, uh, Hillary Clinton's campaign manager, his emails were completely hacked. But, you know, when people say the word hacked, everybody imagines, like, like, 80s movies where there's, like, a dude um, who has a bunch of junk food and he's sitting on a laptop and he's typing furiously. He's and,
1: coding yeah, his way out of a box, like, on the Yeah, he, he's
0: typing, like, green letters onto a black screen and then he goes, I'm in. Um, <laughs> and then dramatic music plays. Yeah, but that's mostly just not how hacking actually works at all. And um, uh, John Podesta's situation was more like... Um, when your little brother just figures out how to guess your password and then posts like on your facebook well ha 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 quinn was hacked um (laughs) because what happened is he got a phishing email which is the the email that um you know when the nigerian prince wants money um and it but it was set up to make it look like it was a legit google email saying there was I'm not sure exactly what it was, but um, there was some kind of problem with his account, and he needed to resubmit his password. But he saw that, and he was like, oh, that looks suspicious. So he sent it to IT, and he went to do this. Somehow, he He accidentally accidentally submitted his password to the original phishing email. Not the new
1: link that the IT department had sent him.
0: Yeah, so instead he just handed over his password to Russians, and the Russians said, don't mind if I do, and got everything. It's so funny because when we were discussing this, um, before, like, our podcast, when Quinn was like, oh, yeah, we
1: should mention this, like, the whole phishing email with Podesta, and I was like, "Fishing? Like, I, how come I wasn't invited? Like, I literally, you know, like, gone fishing? Like, uh, clearly my priorities are elsewhere. <laughs> um,
0: <laughs> yeah, at least we've never given out our emails over sketchy, uh, phishing things. Yes,
1: so, be very careful, especially nowadays um, don't open anything that looks susp- suspicious, and if you do get something suspicious and your IT department tells you not to open it, make sure you still don't open it
0: <laughs> yeah uh, just be careful y'all um, it, here's a hint if you get an email from somewhere and they want you to submit information like in res- directly in that email in response to that email, just don't do it. It's probably not legit. Just go to the like if go- s- Google supposedly sends you an email to like change your password. Do not respond to that email. Go to, like, your actual Google account and change it from there. Like, Mm -hmm. there will always be an official place to do all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. Just FYI.
1: Don't touch any links that are suspicious. Do
0: not hit links. Yes. (laughs) It's a bad idea. But it is too late for the Democratic Party, um, who suffered severely from email links. Allegedly, how this all went down is the Russians, um, quote-unquote, hacked these emails from Podesta and... um, other people in the Democratic Party, and then sent them all to Wikileaks <sighs> Wikileaks and Wikileaks published them all um, Wikileaks is used to be perceived um, in a certain way and is now over the course of this election been pretty clear that they are a pro trump organization who is all in on him i just I just
1: feel like this is so weird like i just like assumed wikileaks was just like all like oh conspiracy
0: theories that are like kind of true and
1: yeah it seemed
0: it was like a snowden
1: yeah exactly kind of
0: thing exactly Um,
1: like receiving like sketchy emails in a basement and being like oh this looks interesting let's publish it you know from like unidentifiable (laughs) sketchy sources i don't think that's what snowden did
0: either actually yeah but yeah you know that's like the kind of like um First of all, like, not super legit, and second right, of all, like, exactly. trying to expose NSA, stuff like that, and then it turned into this whole, um, no, actually just, like, trying to get Donald Trump elected kind of situation. But back to the ties with Russia. So, these were Russians who were, um, really doing all this, and so, like, like you said, like, Russia didn't, like, hack votes Right. Like, that's a very misleading headline that's been going around.
1: Exactly. it's They just released a uh, note. They just released the emails that, um, that made the DNC look bad, that made Hillary Clinton look bad. And then they also had access to the Republican emails, but they didn't release them. And then you could argue oh, well, like, maybe the Republicans had, like, nothing to hide and, like, things like that, but no, this is politics, like... Oh, my God. Everyone is I mean, maybe, to maybe it wasn't that, like, oh, Donald Trump, like, used a fake email, or used a personal email server, but just by omitting to release, like, one side's records is just, I don't know, to me, it's sketchy.
0: There was also accounts of the, of Russians, um, just generally stirring trouble in the election, um... But on Twitter and other places like that, spreading fake news, um, like we talked about last week, uh, the fake news epidemic that's going on, has been going on. Also kind of hijacking um, hashtags like Trump Pence 16 or Benghazi and um, spreading fake news through those hashtags so that people who were already leaning towards um, voting for Trump are voting for Trump would get more incensed with that and share um, these stories that were designed to, like, make... Hillary look bad and to get more people to vote for Trump Mm -hmm. so let's just like this is really bad
1: yeah this is like a low this is a high-key crisis and don't you just love my professional way of addressing that this is
0: a high-key crisis
1: yeah so pretty much everybody is going insane like this is just this is awful people are very concerned on both sides like this is not a partisan issue at all which at least I think is we need to stick together is basically the whole point. And the fact that there are people on both sides, there is still some hope that not everyone is absolutely out
0: of their minds. Yeah, I'm like, I'm a big fan of what McCain has been doing recently. McCain's really been speaking out um, against Trump and against the, these kinds of things, which is cool. Uh, Mitt Romney sold his soul and got screwed over. We can come back to that later if you want to. but um, So we're kind of running out of... Republicans who are standing up against Trump, but the ones who are doing a good job. Um, and I think it's
1: because they know. I mean, McCain is older; like he doesn't need a job from Trump.
0: Yeah, I think McCain is kind of on his way out, so he's just doing whatever he can. While he's I feel still like here. McCain's
1: like the cool grandpa who, like at parties, can like say whatever he wants, and like nobody can say anything because it's like, oh well, you're one hundred and forty. So, <laughs> no, McCain's adorable. Um,
0: no, I love him, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, but seriously, though, and, um, but Trump himself, um, said basically, nah, CIA's wrong. No, this is just another, this is just trying
1: blah blah to get Hillary more votes or, like, something like that. Okay, he just, like, does this really cute thing where he just doesn't support any of his claims ever. <laughs> Those um, are called lies. <laughs> okay, so, yes, both sides are definitely, um guilty of lying. At least I think so, but like
0: just to, he just has like outrageous claims. Like it's kind of hard to wrap my mind around like how big of a deal this is. This is a really big deal. This is Russia interfering in our election. I I can't say that enough times. This is Russia interfering with the United States election. Yikes. The United States has so much international power. Mhm. And uh, guess what? Putin just got someone who's like his number one fan. Elected to president. Actually, that's wrong. Um, Trump is his number two fan because his number one fan is, haha, the Secretary of State. <laughs> oh,
1: yeah. shots fired.
0: No, seriously. So Trump um, nominated Rex Tillerson for Secretary of State, which again, he humiliated Mitt Romney by pulling him to have dinner with him and then did not choose him for Secretary of State, which makes me feel like he was just punishing him for speaking against... Trump during the election but anyway so he chose Rex Tillerson who is the CEO of Exxon and has literally been awarded like a some kind of friendship award from Russia I'm not even making that up
1: yeah so some I guess conflict of in conflicts of interest just a couple just a few yeah so there has been obviously a lot of concerns with um Trump's pick um Some Republicans, as we've said, have raised concerns. Like we mentioned John McCain earlier, Um, Lindsey Graham, also Marco Rubio said on Tuesday that he had serious concerns about Tillerson. Um, Also then, former Secretary of State Henry Kissinger applauded Trump for his pick of Tillerson, saying that having somebody with close ties with Russia could be a beneficial thing. But then it's like, and like, that's true, I think, to to an extent, like, I don't think... I don't think appointing someone that, like, Putin hated would be any benefit, but then also there's the whole... Like, I just feel like this isn't a very neutral pick. So it's, like, just a little concerning,
0: I think. Um, Yeah. I'm more than a little concerned. (laughs) I'm gonna say that. Yeah, I just... um, Because you made the point earlier that, like, it could help in some ways to have a Secretary of State pick that's on good terms with Russia. But there's, like... There's, the, there's the, on the one hand of, oh, Russia likes us, which can be good, because that can help um, negotiations and diplomatic tensions and whatever. But the flip side of that, which I think is really what we are in right now, um, not just, like, good relations with Russia, but being influenced by Russia. And when I say Russia, I mean Putin, um, a man who kills people. So um, maybe I shouldn't say that on this podcast. Uh, so in three years when we are... Uh, Russia too I won't get killed well we'll find out um yeah stay tuned guys (laughs)
1: Uh, 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 uh. I like to think that you know when you're in class and it's a class that you hate the teacher and so like everybody in the class like sort of bonds over that maybe that's what's
0: happening with America maybe we'll all become closer (laughs) from this (laughs) I mean, you can kind of like, honestly, you can kind of see a little bit of shift in that direction um, after this information about Russia came out. Like, there were more... Like you said, like, this... Although there has been some partisanship about this issue in terms of, like, the Trump camp, but there have been a lot of Republicans who have said, uh, no, this is a problem. Like, this is not a partisan issue. This is, a like, a, a national security
1: issue, and we need to look into this right away.
0: Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I don't see... Um, us uniting anytime soon, although that would help a lot. That'd be cool. (laughs) It's funny because it's like, is the teacher in this metaphor Trump or Putin?
1: (laughs) I don't know. I just hope we get a substitute real quick. So in other news, the Fed decided to raise the interest rate So, which is pretty exciting. They raised it um, now to, I think it's, it was from 0.25 to 0.5 range, and now we're aiming for like a 0.5 to 0.75 range, which isn't a huge jump, um, but they definitely imply that there will be rate hikes in the future. Um, It's interesting because this is the second time that the FOMC has decided to raise rates. Um, since the 2008 financial crisis. They raised rates slightly last December. Um, So I guess I'm sensing sort of a pattern here. But it's really cool because the decision was unanimous. Like everybody agreed that we should raise rates. And this is good because it's sort of an indicator that our economy has, or our economy has recovered, at least from this level where people who know about The United States economy feel confident enough to raise interest rates so it's sort of like a vote of confidence in the economy and which is pretty cool I think um also in other economics he talked when because the interest rate has increased that automatically means that the dollar um strengthens compared to every other well not every other currency but definitely straightens relative to other currencies which is
0: really cool cool yeah I don't know anything about this, but I, I'm real happy you got to mention it. Yay! We literally, we have nothing to talk about here. Like, we just wanted to share a piece of good news, and Jillian was excited there was economics news. Yes. Yep. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> next! <laughs> so I feel like we have the most to say about this next topic of, like, possibly anything we've talked about so far. Oh, definitely. And that is Teen Vogue. hmm So, uh, up until this year, I would not say that Teen Vogue was a particularly controversial subject. No, Cool magazine. I read it occasionally. I I, I was a subscriber uh, in my middle school years. I
1: thought it was good.
0: I never was, but I had friends who were, so I would peruse occasionally. Mm -hmm. But they have been getting a lot of attention recently Mm -hmm. for uh, generally being badass. (laughs) Yeah,
1: pretty much. Uh, So they had this extremely well-written but very controversial article about um, where the headline was basically, Donald Trump is gaslighting America. And historical perspective, gaslighting is when you manipulate people into thinking that they're insane or so you can, like, have more of a sway over them. Um, The Stasi did this during uh, communist Germany, so that's also a thing. But, um, yeah, so basically in this context, it was that Donald Trump was influencing um, the voters in such a negative way by, like, just sneaking in things that were just, like, very harmful um, and definitely sway the
0: election in his favor. Mm-hmm. And for reference, that it's called gaslighting because of this film um, called Gaslight, where yes. this happens, <laughs> where where um, an abusive partner makes um, his wife think that she's going insane, basically by like min- making her feel like she doesn't have a good grasp on reality, which is like kind of their whole argument is, um, and this is a common tactic in abusive relationships. Right. So, that, mm-hmm. and this is the argument is like that's what he's doing to the American people is he's making people doubt reality. And Mm -hmm. it's kind of like when... It's the thing that he does a lot is there'll be something that um, is 100% not true, but he'll say it anyway and just, like, make no attempt to back it up or argue for it. Yeah, the article has some good examples, definitely. Uh Oh, and also, sorry, it's called gaslighting because...
1: um, I know that's, like, a weird term, but it's because they had... It was an old movie, so there were, like like, gaslights. And the only way the wife knew that she was actually not crazy, was that every time, like, something happened that her, her husband, like, moved something around, the gaslights would dim, and that was, like, her one grasp on, like, her one sense of reality that mm-hmm. could root her to, um, who she was.
0: Yeah, lots of background on the term gaslighting. Yeah, sorry, <laughs> we should, totally could have made that a lot shorter, but, um, it's fine. Yeah, yeah, but, um, so this article is getting a ton of attention, um, clearly, like, it's a good article, um, but it's, of course, very controversial, mm-hmm. and so there have been a lot of feedback. Okay, first of all, I'd like to address something right off that um, a lot of people have been calling, have been comparing Teen Vogue to um, more rigorous mainstream media, like, for example, the New York Times, and saying, like, the Teen Vogue basically isn't afraid to tell it how it is, whereas the New York Times has been much more trying to be balanced and mm-hmm. uh, less controversial. And on one hand, I can uh, get the 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 desire to have the New York Times be more controversial and, um, basically call things how they are in Trump's America. Um, but on the other hand, like, obviously a a publication like Teen Vogue is going to be able to go farther than the New York Times. I mean, it's like that, that just is common sense. Mm -hmm. So beyond that though.
1: Yeah. So the whole issue is that, um, Teen Vogue is a very well-known publication and, they've always had good writers like I've been following them like and they're just such they're part of um Condé Nast which is a basically huge publication um publication magazine company like oh you know it does Vogue glamour basically everything Vanity Fair um and so a lot of people were just like they were surprised that Teen Vogue would address such a controversial topic and that the people writing the, the articles in Teen Vogue in general were not actually teenagers
0: so that's interesting I mean i don't know why i would, if i would say that um so my interpretation of what the kind of shock and awe factor has been in all of this is that um first of all just a lot of people just expressing surprise at this in general like oh my god i can't believe teen vogue wrote this article um because you know you hear the teen you hear the name teen vogue um you're not expecting like political commentary right. even though they've been doing that the whole election basically mm-hmm. like Um, it's just this article got a lot more popular than previous articles, so a lot more people saw it. Um, and, uh, then we just, like, have straight-up sexism, where there are people who were commenting, like, I saw a bunch of comments, um, where people just responding, like, oh, why don't you go back to writing about nail polish and get yourselves out of politics?
1: Which is a huge issue, at least from my, like, my standpoint, arc standpoint, Um, And it all goes back to, you know, that, like, women's have to stay in the kitchen, or women, like, don't, that's, like, a stretch, but, you know, the t-shirt, like, oh, like, women should, um, the place, mm, a woman's place is in the house, and also the Senate. Um, Yeah, so, no, awesome shirt, but this whole idea that teen girls would not be interested in politics, and that Mm -hmm. assumption is
0: what the huge problem, I think, is this like amazement first of all that teen vogue would write this article but also this kind of implicit assumption that the the readership of teen vogue would not care now mm-hmm. speaking as a teen who is not very vogue <laughs> but is like I keep forgetting that you're an infant <laughs> <laughs> okay we are almost the same age but like i am literally a teenager okay um i'm and i'm a young woman and uh, Clearly, this is the kind of thing I am interested in. So from my perspective, when I see this, like, amazement that Teen Vogue would publish um, this kind of controversial political article, I'm like, you don't think that, like, 15 to 19-year-olds, I don't know, I shouldn't say that, I don't know what the age range for Teen Vogue is. It's like 13. Yeah, whatever. So, like, Teen
1: teen Vogue. (laughs) Um,
0: It's like, you really don't think that the young women in... America today don't care about what's going on and aren't interested in what's going on, because, like, we are, I promise.
1: Mm-hmm, definitely.
0: Yeah, so, really
1: controversial article, um, but just from another standpoint, I actually had sort of a little issue with the backlash that um, that actually both sides have received, but especially um, people who were in support of, like, the Teen Vogue and being political and... And what they said, and how they condemned those who didn't think that they had smart writers who would talk about these political issues to a fan base that would actually want to read these issue, um, read about these issues. And so my problem was that the way people responded to the backlash for publicizing this just didn't really sit well with me. And so I'm all for very productive dialogue, and, like, I agree that the underestimation of women who want to read about these issues, that's a huge societal problem, and, yes, it should be addressed. My problem is that how some people reacted to that was just in a very condescending way, and it was just, like, the rhetoric in which it was expressed that I have a problem with. Um, A lot of, a lot of very smart, very accomplished feminists came out and said, oh, like, why would you pretty much, like, how dare you think about that, think so, how dare you underestimate us women, things like that, and completely valid points. I do agree with what was said, that there is that whole issue on a large scale, that people think that young women don't want to read about these issues, that they just care about boys and makeup and clothes, but my problem was how is how it was addressed, and how I know that this is ingrained into our society that when women say things that aren't necessarily the popular opinion, um, they have to say it in such a way that it's accessible and like attractive, and that they don't come across as like crazy angry people. And so it's all about tact and like watching what you care what watching what you say carefully. Um, and I know that that itself is an issue, but I think when very strong feminists who are totally right. Like I believe with what they say um, with their message, but when they come out and say it in such a very, in such a stark way that isn't really as accessible to both sides, I think that's when the problem, that's when my problem is that they polarize people and they'll, and the people that they are that support them, that who do say, Oh, right. That's right. um, I agree with that. They don't need to support they don't need to convince those people that they're right because they already believe that they're right. And it's when they're trying to spread this message across to different groups of people who may not think that girls are interested in politics and they turn those people off, which is, I know, a problem in itself because, like, I think that women should be able to say whatever they want and have their message be as respected as, you know, if a guy said it or if they maybe not say it in such a in-quo's ladylike way. But... And that's that's just a problem that we have as a as society as a whole, but I just have a problem with it, particularly if you want to get your message across. sometimes you just do need to be political politically tact, and be able to make your message accessible so as many people that you want to um want them to hear can hear it
0: so I think I hear what you're saying here, and I think that this is not necessarily um like just a purely a feminist issue. I think this is an issue with political discourse in, general. On, in a in general, and in this case, um, it is specifically about a feminist issue, and it does become, um, and we're kind of giving it a greater focus through that lens because it it is like women speaking out and saying, "Why are you underestimating women?" Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and so it becomes this question of um, when is this about like feminism and when is it about political discourse and when is it about just the fact that women are saying these things and not men um and it becomes like a very complicated mess and it is hard to separate those things so like I could hear when you were talking you were trying so hard to not make it seem like you didn't agree with them Mm -hmm. um because like and I can kind of like I'm just gonna guess um here but like I could hear how you were afraid that people were going to be like, oh, how dare you not support women, women in yeah. this situation. But, um, which is like, of course you want to be supporting women, but at the same time, it's like you have the right to criticize individual people, mm-hmm. um, and be able to do that in a way that like you retain your, your feminism status, Yeah, it's even like when you don't like agree exactly. uniformly
1: exactly um and I just I think it's just very hard to take the objective stance because like sometimes like by not taking a side you're taking the opposing side Mm -hmm. if which which is not the greatest um
0: I guess what I would say in response to your whole statement here is like I think that um people have the right to express themselves whoever they want Mm -hmm. but I so I do agree that that can be polarizing um And I do agree that if your explicit goal is to, like, educate and bring people into the folds, per se, um, then being, like, snarky about it is not necessarily the way to go. That's going to gain you support from people who already agree with you. Mm -hmm. Um, On the other hand, I don't think that that's necessarily what people are trying to do, always. Like, sometimes people are, like, supposedly trying to educate and are just being, like, kind of mean about it, um, slash sarcastic about it or whatever, Um, And in some cases, people are just being sarcastic and Mm -hmm. people are just going to be snarky. Is that good for how people look at them politically and um, creating empathy between groups? No. But I wouldn't necessarily say that's their responsibility either. I don't think that's, like, any individual person's responsibility to do.
1: And I agree with that. Like, there's no obligation for them to word what they actually want to say in such a way to make everybody happy like I just don't think that like freedom of speech like you should be able to say whatever you want however you want but I just think the problem would be is if they expect people to change and they expect people who wouldn't want to who don't want to um, listen to them take their message to heart and I think it's when you have when you say these things and you're snarky and you're sarcastic but you're funny and you get the support of people who already support you um, I think the issue, the danger from that comes from being upset when people you were trying to convince don't necessarily listen to you because of the way you're phrasing these things.
0: So to wrap up now, uh, sorry that this episode was more depressing than last week's, but the world is more depressing than it was last week. Or maybe we were just thinking about it more. Who knows? The World sucks. Unclear. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. On that note... Uh, we did want to end on a high note, however, um, so (laughs) we still have our deal going that if you leave us a five-star review in iTunes and ask us a question, um, we will answer it. We're not sure if this person intended for this to be a submitted question, but they did include a, a question mark in the review, so we're going to address it anyway. (laughs) Um, so they left us a very nice review, said a few nice things about us, said that we appreciate memes as much as they deserve, which I appreciate you saying that, um. And then they said, "My only problem is that I don't know how to properly fangirl when they're my age, and liking all their tweets would be kind of creepy." Help? <laughs> We're here to help you.
1: <laughs> yes, we are. Um, how how should people
0: properly fangirl? Oh my goodness, I've never had anyone fangirl over me. This is so weird. So as a person who is um, on the Relay FM network, because she made a fan video about Relay FM. <laughs> I have a, a good view of being a fan of things. <laughs> I don't know why anyone would be a fan of me.
1: I'm a fan of you, Quinn. I'm a fan of you, too. Oh, shucks.
0: Stop. I'm your, I'm your number one fan. Also, no one's allowed to claim the title of Jillian's number one fan, because that is me.
1: Uh, same with same with Quinn Rose here. So, um, sorry, guys. But you can all vie for the position
0: of number two fan. That is still an offer on the table. Okay, there you go. Um, So, it, it, Seriously, though, like, if you want to be a fan of podcasts, like, I'm not gonna be like, that's weird. That's not weird. I am a fan of many podcasts. Um, And it's great. And like, the thing is, like, you're not a fan, you're a part of the community. And honestly, I feel like so much of a community on Twitter right now, Mm -hmm. um, of people who listen to my shows and um, tend to, like, reply to my tweets a lot and talk Mm -hmm. to me about stuff. And I love it. Yeah, I
1: love when people, like, tweet at me, and if you favorite my tweets, and if you want to favorite all of them, go ahead, because I will probably follow you back, and then favorite your tweets. So it's a win-win for everybody. Yeah,
0: I think that if, like, um, I mean, just speaking for us, like, if you want to talk to us on Twitter, do it. Everybody's so cool, um, and you're all really fun, and, like, when people say that they like what we make, it's, Amazing. Like I can't get over how nice everyone is. And mm-hmm. the idea that people even listen to the show, let alone really like this show, is astounding. The support is amazing. And also when
1: uh, people tweet at me in German, I also love it. So... Oh yeah, if
0: you know German, tweet at
1: Jillian in German. Also, then next semester, if I hopefully take Danish, we can I can get some Danish
0: <laughs> tweets going as well. Oh my god. Uh but yeah, talk to us. We'll hang out online. It'll be a fun time. <laughs> Speaking of that, if you want to find me on Twitter, you can find me at AspiringRobotFM. And you can find me on Twitter at underscore Jillian Parker. If you want to follow the show, uh, you can follow us at MixedFeelingsFM, um, where you can also send us a DM if you have feedback or stories that you want us to look at. Um, There's also a contact form on the website, which is Relay.FM slash MixedFeelings, where you can also find all of our show notes for our episodes. Thank you so much for listening. Yeah, thank you, everyone. I'm Quinn Rose. And I'm Jillian Parker. And these were our mixed
1: feelings.